Man, I don't know if you guys are getting sick, but I kind of have like a bunch of like snot in between like my throat. So please bear with me. Um, I might like crack my voice a couple times, but it's all good. Um, so for music, if you guys listen to music, um, I use Spotify. Um, I originally started to use Spotify. I jumped to Apple Music, and then I went back to Spotify. And Spotify, just like any other social media platform, they do this cool thing where they show you your year, right? The, this past year in review, right? So there's this thing where Spotify shows you how many minutes you listen to uh, the software or the program and who were like your, your top favorite songs and your top favorite artists. Um, here's mine. Uh, I was deciding whether if I should share it or not, but it's kind of embarrassing, but I'll share it to you anyway. Um, so this is mine. And... <laughs> I'm, I'm ashamed of two things. I'm embarrassed for two reasons. Number one, um, there's not a lot of Christian music, as you can tell. Uh, the only Christian song that I see here is Nothing Without You. This is a song from Will Reagan of United Pursuit. Um, that's the first thing I'm ashamed of, right? Uh, the second thing is this. There's Drake and God's plan on this playlist. I had no idea I would listen to Drake that much. Um, I'm extremely ashamed of that. Um, now, many of you know um, I am a snob when it comes to a lot of things. I've been working on it, um, and I thank you for your patience with that. Um, one thing I'm a snob about in particular is music. Um, I'm very prideful and proud when it comes to music. And in my arrogance, I pride myself in listening to all the cool, hip, trendy artists that you've probably never heard of, right? But in reality, it's really Spotify that's curating my playlist and I'm stealing songs from Albert's playlist, right? That's kind of like how I get my cool music nowadays. Um, I love to receive compliments, right? You guys know this. I'm a person that loves words of affirmation, right? Um, it's pretty nice when people say, oh, Randy, you're a good pastor, right? You're a, you're a great preacher. Um, we love what you're doing for church. We're, we love what you're doing for ministry. But it's extremely nice when people say, Randy, you have great taste in music. And that just gets me going. I'm like, ooh, I feel so cool about myself, right? And for me, um, I share this playlist or this year in review, whatever, 2018 wrapped, right? Um, on my Instagram story, wanting validation from others, right? Classic Randy. Um, I wanted people to think I'm cool and hip, right? And a lot of my peers, right, we all share our, like, 2018 wrapped. And we were like, oh, you listen to this artist too, so on and so forth. Now, why? Um, why is it that, you know, I want this type of validation? Uh, why is it that I want people to think of me a certain way? And the reason why, deep down inside, if I'm honest with myself, I'm seeking the approval of others. I think that's what's really driving all of this. I believe that the human heart has a natural longing for approval. Right? The human heart has a natural longing for acceptance. And for me, just to be honest with you, um, this has been an idol I've been struggling with for a very long time. Now, if this is the case, right, um, if um, some of us, right, maybe not all of us, but at least some of us, we do struggle with acceptance and approval, what's the solution to this? What's the solution to this problem of living for man's approval and man's acceptance? And the answer we will find in Scripture. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn them to Romans chapter 8. We're going to be looking at um, just a couple verses, Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. Paul writes, 
and this is a reading of God's word, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Right, this is our passage for today. And um, this is the context in which Paul is writing in. Um, in this letter, Paul is pretty much saying before this passage here, if you are a believer, if you want to live in following Jesus Christ, you are not of the flesh anymore. Right? Um, you don't, all the desires that you have are gone, and you have new desires planted within you. You are of the Spirit, right? So Paul does this whole juxtaposition between what it's like to live in the flesh and what it's like to live in the Spirit, right? Um, he pretty much says God's own very Spirit lives inside of you, right? And I, I love what he says here. He says the same Spirit that rose Christ from the dead Right? The same spirit that resurrected Jesus Christ after he died on the cross is the same exact spirit that lives within us. Right? That's a powerful statement. And now here we are in this passage. He continues, if you are a believer, the spirit lives inside of you, and you have a changed status. Here's what I mean. Um, Paul writes here that we are sons of God. Right? For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. What does that mean? It means that the blessings and the status, the privilege, the inheritance that Jesus has as the Son of God now belongs to us. Right? We, we share in that status. We share in that blessing. We share in the inheritance that he has. Right? This is what it means. Uh, this is what sonship means. Right? Sonship also means that we reflect the image of God being our father. So he explains, right, you're not a slave to sin anymore. You have this new relationship with a new father, God himself, and this relationship is not associated with fear. And even though you're adopted, right, even though you don't have the same blood, you can come to God the father as if you're his own biological son, and you can cry out, dad, right, Abba, father, dad. And verse 16, Paul says, it's a spirit's job to assure all of us that we will always be children of God no matter what. We are heirs with Christ no matter what. And even if we suffer, the Father will glorify us with Christ. It's a great passage. Now, what does this all mean, right? <clears throat> Our search for acceptance is over. The natural longing that we have to seek approval from others, and to be accepted is over because we are fully accepted because we belong to God as his own children. Right? This is what this passage is teaching us. And here's our main point for today. Um, it's simply this. God has brought us into his own family. Right? This is what the passage is teaching us today. God has brought all of us into his own family. Right? This is what uh, people call the doctrine of adoption, 
I'm sure you've probably heard of this. And um, the doctrine of adoption is pretty much saying that in Jesus Christ, if you desire to place your faith in him, then God will treat you as if you're just like Jesus. God will treat you just as you're his own beloved son. Right? And this is what Paul is breaking down in this passage. Um, this is why Christians, I don't know if you know this, uh, this is why we call each other brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, it's not like we're trying to be all creepy and we're like, oh, this, guy, this guy's my brother or sister in Christ, right? No, it's, it's because in Jesus, right, because we are adopted, being brought into the same family, I can refer to Victor as my brother in Christ, even though he's not my biological brother. All right, this is why we're able to pray in Jesus' name, right? Um, all the prayers, all the requests that we have, God will hear us on the basis of who Jesus is if we have faith in him. The doctrine of adoption is important to know because I think a lot, of, a lot of us see Christianity as a religion that's only about God removing our sins and making us righteous, right? Sometimes we just default Christianity into thinking that, oh, the gospel is about God removing our sins and making us righteous, which is justification, right? Um, but God actually goes way beyond that, um, God could have justified us, right? He, he could have made us righteous. Uh, what I mean by that, he could have cleared us from all the sins that we've committed. He could have cleared us of any other wrongdoing and say that we are not guilty anymore, which is a huge act of mercy. But he didn't have to adopt us, right? He didn't have to say, um, I want you to be my children, uh, let, let me explain. Um, I want to try to give this as a hypothetical situation. Let's say I was a billionaire, okay? Uh, just for fun, um, let's say I own the Dodgers, I own the Lakers, and I have so much money that my grandchildren and their grandchildren will never have to worry about money again. Um, let's say I had this kid, right, who was under 18, uh, working in my company, okay? Just hypothetically, he was a, his name's Gideon, okay? Um, he was a decent worker, right? I, I, I just want to make sure I don't want to use, you know, your name. So Gideon, right? Decent worker. I treated him well, right? Uh, I bought him all of his lunches. I bought him gifts during Christmas. I gave him a fat bonus, right? I treated him very well, right? But let's say one day, this employee of mine, Gideon, steals from me. And not only does he steal from me, but he steals $5 million from my company, right? That's a lot of money. So true justice is him paying me back the $5 million that he stole from me. And if he can't pay that back, guess what? He's got to go to jail, right? That's justice. But justification is me saying, look, get in, you jacked me, but I'm going to take away your punishment, okay? You don't have to go to jail. You don't have to repay back the $5 million. Um, I'm actually going to put $5 million of my own personal money back into the company. I forgive you. We're good. That's justification, right? That's mercy, right? Withholding punishment. Your relationship goes from a negative to a zero. But adoption is this. It's, it's a little different. Not only am I going to pay for your punishment, but Gideon, I'm actually going to adopt you, right? It sounds pretty weird. Uh, let me explain. So you're going to be my son, and not only that, as my son you will have this amazing inheritance, right? You have this company when I die. I'm going to treat you as if you're my own son um, and as if you're the heir to my own company, right? You're going to be part of this billionaire family. And when I die, 
all of my savings, all of my riches will go straight to you. That's what adoption is. So rather than going from a negative to a zero, which is justification, adoption is going from um, a zero to a positive. So let me put it in this way. Justification is this. Something has been taken away from you, right? Your guilt, your punishment has been taken away from you. Adoption is this. Something has been placed on you. Royalty, a new status. You're an heir. You see, God could have stopped that at zero. He could have stopped that at zero, but he didn't have to fix us and to fix our relationship. And what's great about the gospel is this. If we have faith in Jesus, we're treated as if we're just like Jesus. And on the other hand, Jesus is treated as if he's like us, right? A sinner, which is why he died on the cross. We're saved on the basis of Jesus' righteousness. And on the other hand, Jesus suffers the wrath that we deserve in being sinners. Why? Because God loves all of us so very much. Um, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And if you think about it, not only did he give and provide Jesus, but he set him up to be slaughtered so that we as humans can have a shot at eternal life by believing in him. And if you believe in Jesus, if you put your faith in Jesus, God accepts you solely on the basis of you being his adopted child. Right? God doesn't accept you based on all the good things that you've done in life or your upbringing or who you are, but rather because of Jesus, you have a changed status, a new identity. When God looks at you, he doesn't see your past and sins. He knows it. But rather, he sees Jesus. God looks at you and he sees Jesus' righteousness that's been placed on you. And your past and your sins have been put off of you and are nailed to the cross. And whatever sinful and fleshly desires we have remaining, God is fixing and transforming us. And that takes a lifetime, right? That's what sanctification is. So to understand the weight of adoption, um, I think we have to understand what it's like to be an orphan. Um, Obviously, um, I'm not an orphan, but uh, I do have a friend who is an orphan. Um, Being an orphan has its unique burden, and this is her story. Um, Her parents split up when she was one, and she was pretty much adopted by her grandparents. Right at the end of elementary, her grandfather passed away. So her grandmother raised her from middle school and all throughout. Um, She shares her story of adoption in this article that she wrote, and I'm just going to read it for us, um, just so that we can have a greater glimpse of what it's like to be an orphan. She writes, When I was younger, I was always jealous of other kids who got to say the words, Mom and Dad, so casually. For me, these words were foreign, and they still are. Even today, I can't say my mom or my dad without it evoking a wave of emotions and thoughts. Growing up, I occasionally saw my dad. I rarely ever saw my mom. I only remember seeing her once when I was in elementary school, and only for a few weeks. I remember all I ever wanted as a kid was to have a normal family. I wanted my mom and dad. I wanted to be like other kids who got to go home and see their parents. I didn't want to have to say goodbye to my mom, having no clue when the next time I would see her would be. There was always this emptiness. Family was perhaps my least favorite topic to talk about. 
The summer before my junior year of high school, my mom invited me to visit Korea with her for a month. I was so excited. I hadn't seen her in eight years, and I spent weeks daydreaming about that month we would spend together. I imagined us going shopping together, eating, having girl talk. I thought I was finally going to have the mother-daughter relationship I had always wanted. To me, a month with my mom was a precious gift. I thought I would finally be happy and feel fulfilled. And this is what happens. Two weeks before I left to meet my mom, I was scrolling through the photos she posted on her cacao when I came across a photo of her, a man, and a baby girl. I was so confused. I thought, this can't be her husband and baby. That man must be a brother or a cousin or something, and that baby must be her niece. But then I saw the ring on her left hand, and my fears were confirmed. She had a new husband and a new baby. I tried to push all the angry and hurt thoughts out of my mind, and I forced myself to be positive and be happy for her and for me. I always wanted a sister, and now my mom wasn't alone. She had a new family, and that meant that I did too. I told myself to be excited to meet my stepdad and my half-sister. I, I told myself to be happy for her, and I genuinely thought I was. However, the moment I stepped off that plane and saw my mom and her family, I knew that I had just been lying to myself. I was not happy about this at all. I was hurt and angry. Why did she have to have another kid? Why did she leave me? Why was she capable of raising this child? but not me. That trip to Korea was supposed to be all about my mom and me, but my half-sister came with us, and all my hopes of having a real relationship with my mom were shattered. I spent the month, I spent the month feeling very alone. I felt abandoned and unloved. Uh, it, it sucks to be an orphan. Um, it sucks to um, have a life where you have to grow, grow up without your parents. Um, it sucks to have parents who left you and disappeared. It sucks even having to ask your parents this question, why don't you love me? Why did you leave me? Why did you disappear without saying goodbye? And yet, brothers and sisters, before we met Jesus, we were orphans. We were lost. We were in sin. We were dead in our transgressions. We were unwanted. We had no hope. Until the very moment when God came into our lives, he saved us and said, I want you to be in my family. I see you hurting. I see you in pain. I see your brokenness. I see your sins, but I still love you. My love will never change for you. I will never leave you. I will never disappear, and I will never say goodbye. Psalm 27, verse 10 says this. For my, mother and my for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. And it's a powerful, powerful passage, right? Um, even though our own parents, who are given the call to raise us, can leave and abandon us, God will never leave you. God will never say, um, I'm done with you. God will never reject you. God will never refuse you. And since you are adopted, you belong to God as his dearly loved children. This is why the doctrine of adoption is so great. 
because our Father is the God of the universe. Um, here's our application. Um, live in your identity as a child of God. Live in your identity as a child of God. I think the temptation is to misplace our identity into something we're not, right? Um, I think it's easy to place our identity in family or in our ethnicity or as being a student or a certain job or title, right, or even a certain personality or relationship role, right? But first and foremost, in light of this passage, we are children of God, and we must never forget that. That's our primary identity. Paul says that the Holy Spirit's job is to bear witness to the fact that all of us who believe in Jesus are children of God, right? The Holy Spirit's job is to remind you of your identity. Why? Because it's so easy to forget who we are, right? It's so easy to forget that we are children of God. And the reason why is because I think some of us, maybe not all of us, um, we base our relationship with God with how we feel, right? Feelings are kind of like uh, a huge way in how we see the health of our relationship. And we must understand that God's acceptance of us is not based on how we feel. Feelings do not determine if you're in good standing or not. And what ends up happening, actually, is Satan will use your feelings. He's going to twist them, and he's going to make you feel worthless and terrible. And that's when we think, you know what? God can never love me. God can never accept me. I've heard a pastor once say, sin warps our emotions. It does, doesn't it? We must never base our acceptance of God based on feelings. Our acceptance of God is not based on subjective feelings, but our acceptance of God is based on the objective reality of the cross. Let us not forget our identity because when we forget who we are, we lose our way and we fall into darkness. Let this be a reminder for us to live as a child of God before we step into any other roles that God has given us in life. Um, since it is the holiday season, I had the chance to hang out with family a lot, um, a lot more than usual, and it's been really nice. Um, typically, um, we see each other at most maybe once a year. Uh, and I feel bad because there are times where, um, you know, I have no idea what my cousins or other relatives are doing in life, right? Um, so I feel bad because I'm not keeping up with my relationship with them. Yet every time I see them, um, every time I'm at a family gathering, um, all my relatives, they always treat me with so much love and warmth, right? They treat me better than how I treat my close friends. And even though they know less about what's going on in my life in that current moment, and I spend less time with them uh, compared to the time I spend with my friends, um, they still treat me like family. And that's awesome. And I think the lesson that I've been learning this holiday season is that, um, for me personally, I have taken the gift of family for granted. Um, this made me think about my relationship with my dad, and I felt the urgency to spend as much time with him as possible, especially because he's getting older. Um, so at least once a week, I've been trying to uh, get a meal with my dad. Um, whenever my dad and I, we share a meal together, uh, we really don't talk much. <laughs> it's kind of awkward. Uh, we don't talk about deep stuff at all. It's just a lot of silence, right, and some nagging here and there, which isn't that bad. 
I realized, though, uh, with my time, uh, uh, in my time with my dad, even though there um, are not many words that are said, um, there's something powerful about presence. And not just my dad being present with me in, you know, that time, but there's something about the consistency of him always being there year in and year out. Um, this time, I, and, and this is what I realized, the time I spend with him as a 29-year-old right, eating soup at a Korean restaurant is no different from the time I spent with him as a four-year-old eating a Happy Meal at McDonald's. Right? And the lesson that I've been really reflecting on and I've been so grateful for is the fact that I will always be my dad's son. Um, that status will never be taken away from me. Um, looking back on my relationship with my dad, um, there's been many times where I've been such a terrible son, right? Um, I've brought him a lot of shame. Um, I've put him down in public. Um, I've gotten into a lot of trouble, right, in school and in church. And from all the toys that he bought for me as a baby uh, until the time where I crashed, like, three cars, right? I've costed him a lot of money, right? This is what we do as children. We, we make our parents bankrupt. I've constantly disobeyed him. I've argued with him. I've yelled at him. I've said even really hurtful um, and painful things to him. And yet, my dad still calls me randomly. And he's, he just asks, hey, how are you doing? Right? He still pays for my meals. Um, he still treats me as his own son. And imagine this from a first-generation Asian perspective. Okay. His older son, right, my older brother, has accomplished a lot more than I have, of course, from the Asian, Asian perspective, right? Um, if you look at it, uh, my brother got a full scholarship to art school. He's brilliant, right? He's really good at graphic design. And for me, I got less than a 1,300 on my SATs. And I'm not talking about out of 1,600. <laughs> I'm talking about out of 2,400, right? I was a terrible student growing up, Right? 1,300 out of 1,600, that's a great score. I would, I would kill for that, right? And I didn't even get it into a, a UC. He had a salary-paying job ever since he was 22. Uh, when I was 22, I was finishing my fifth year in college and working part-time at the UPS store, right? He became an art director, making a great living. I became a pastor, right? He's married to a beautiful wife, gave my dad grandchildren, and I'm still single. Yet... My dad has never once said, why can't you be like your older brother? Never has he given me that pressure. He's never said to me, why can't you be more successful? He did not treat me as a lesser son. And as my brother's life and my life has changed tremendously over the years, my dad treated me the same loving way. And I realized, you know, Throughout my life, I could have dropped out of college, right, which is a nightmare for Asian parents, right? I could have dropped out of high school. Um, I could have got involved with drugs and gangs, and yet I'm still confident in the fact that I would still be my dad's son. And even today, I can fail at my responsibilities. I can fail at being a pastor. I can even fail at being a good son Yet, my dad will always love me, my dad will always support me, and I will always be his son. My status as a son will never change. Right? There is no circumstance in this world 
that can ever change that, not even death. And likewise, since we're adopted in Jesus Christ, God comes to us and says, you will always be my beautiful daughter. You will always be my beautiful son. And that status of being a child of God will never be taken away from you. No circumstance, no sin, no history, nothing that you've struggled with will ever remove or change your status as a child of God. And this is why the doctrine of adoption is so great. Praise God for that. I feel so secure knowing that God's presence will always be with me. I feel so accepted knowing that God's Um, that God loves me as much as he loved his own precious and perfect son. And I hope that this truth leads you to feel the same. I hope that the Spirit of God will lead you to have peace and security in being children of God. Church, you are loved, you are accepted, you are deeply cared for, and you belong to the king of the universe. Let's pray together. Father, I don't think words can really express our gratitude in being your children. Um, God, I don't know if we can fully express um, really the depths of how much you love us and how much you choose us and how you display your faithfulness to those of us who are so wayward. Um, And God, as we as a church just look at this powerful truth of adoption, Uh, We thank you so much. Uh, We thank you for the fact that in Jesus Christ, our status will never change. Um, God, your love for us will never change. Um, Your acceptance of us will never change. And um, wow, what a truth we can bank on. I pray, God, that you would really use this truth from your your holy word to encourage this church here, especially as we close out um, this year. And coming into the new year, would you give us poise? Um, Would you give us um, hope? Would you give us endurance in knowing, God, that um, our dad, our heavenly father, is the creator of the universe? Thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for displaying um, the father, um, the father's love to us. And we give you all the glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name.